the first person that Jesus revealed that he was the Son of God was to a woman. It was women who had the courage to go to the cross more than the men. John went, but more women went. It was women who were first witnesses to the resurrected Christ. From the beginning of the movement, from the beginning of the faith, from the beginning of Christianity, women have been at the forefront of our faith. And I think we need to thank all of our women here today and honor them for who they are. So would you join me today in thanking them? Yes. Happy Mother's Day. All right, we are landing the plane in my bad church experience, part three. The most important part of flying is not whether you can get off the ground. (laughs) It's whether or not you can land the plane. And we're going to land the plane today. But I got to tell you, out of all the messages, this is the one that has been the pinnacle in my mind. I've been waiting for it. I've been waiting to yell at you guys for about a month, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, I believe this is going to challenge us today. God's going to try to strengthen our faith if we would dig in and lean in. And I want to introduce it this way. How many of you have ever sat down in your favorite recliner or your couch, you turn on the TV, and there's a movie on, but you've entered into the movie on your TV about halfway through the movie? You missed the first half of the movie, but for whatever reason, you stayed on the movie. You just started watching the movie but you missed the first half of it, but yet it intrigued you, but you missed the first half of it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've had that experience. My first experience that I remember was with Old Yeller, like that. And I was just a little boy, and I sat down, cross-legged on our carpet living room floor, turned on the TV, and it was in the middle I'm I'm talking like an hour into the movie of Old Yeller, and the first thing that I see is the older brother take the dog out to the back barn and you hear a gunshot. I'm like, what in the world? (laughs) What kind of movie is this? Why are they shooting the dog? I like dogs. And I, I couldn't believe it. Of course, I didn't see the first half of the movie. I didn't know what was going on. And my mom walks in the living room. I don't know if I was crying or what. It's like, why'd they shoot the dog? She said, well, Nathan, the dog had rabies. What's rabies? I don't know. If I get rabies, you're going to take me back to the barn and show me? I hope I don't get rabies. (laughs) And the reason I tell you that is this. Whenever you enter into a movie halfway in, sometimes you miss the context of the movie and nothing else makes any sense. And we have the word of God for us today. And there are parts, if we miss it, the rest doesn't make any sense. And the outside watching world is watching the church. They're watching our faith. They're watching Christianity. And the passage that we have today, if we miss it, nothing about our faith will make any sense at all. John chapter 13, Jesus is about to go to the cross. It's the night before he's crucified, probably Thursday night, though this may be hard to believe. We actually don't know that. We actually don't know that Jesus was crucified on Friday, but it's a whole other sermon for a whole other controversy. But it was the night he was going to be betrayed, the night of the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's in a room with his 12 disciples. He washes their feet He's talking about serving the greatest of you. He's still trying to get this across to them. Greatness is not those in power. It's those who are serving. He's loving them. He's teaching them. He looks at them and tells them that, hey, one of you are going to leave. You're going to betray me. And then who gets up to betray Jesus? How many of you know who gets up to betray Jesus that night? Okay, three of you know. It was Judas for the rest of you who didn't. Judas gets up and he leaves the table. And whenever he leaves, 
Jesus leans into the other 11, and he says, here it is. Only got a few more minutes left with you. We don't have much time. He's on his way. I want to teach you something. This is important. Last lesson. Here we go. And he says this in verse 33, my children, which he'd never called them children before this moment. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. And what he meant was in 24 hours, he wouldn't even be alive. He'd be in the grave in 24 hours. This was nighttime, possibly on Thursday night. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And what Jesus is about to do, he's about to sum it all up. Hey, guys, listen. Hey, guys, children, intimate term, father to son. Everything you've seen, all the lessons, all the parables, the walking on water, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the calming of the storm, the raising of, La, of Lazarus, the healing of the, of the blind and the crippled, all of it, all of it. Let me sum it all up for you right here. Everybody, come on, lean in. We're running out of time. And then he says this in verse 34, a new command I give you. And the disciples are thinking, oh no, a new command. I haven't been doing very well in the other commands. <laughs> And they might, Jesus, we don't need any new commands. The other, those other 10, those 10, we're still struggling with those. And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I know you guys are. But a new command I give you, and then here it is, three words. A new command I give you, love one another. That's not a new command. Disciples, hey, we already knew that. That's not new. And you might even be thinking here today, Nathan, you're gonna li- you didn't do much studying this week. That's all you got. <laughs> we knew about the love one another. It's actually in the Old Testament. The disciples probably pulled out a paper and, and, and pen, and here it comes. A new- oh, love one another. I don't even need to put that on Twitter. What, what is this? What makes that new? Here's what makes that new. Jesus, in, that, in the original language, he used love not as a noun, but as a verb, which was new. We talk about love as something that you fall into. You're going to fall into love. I can't help it. I just love her. I can't help it. I just love him. I'd lo- I know it's a terrible relationship, but I, can't. I just fell into love. And Jesus is saying, the problem is, you've been talking about love as a noun. I'm telling you to not noun one another. I'm telling you to love verb one another. Action, intentionality, purpose, love one another. And then, and by the way, Jesus would have been a terrible relationship counselor. Did you know that? His counseling would have lasted about five minutes, which is my kind of counselor, by the way. Couple walks in, they're struggling with their marriage. Hey, what seems to be the problem? Well, he said, well, she, well, he, and then he, well, are you loving one another? <laughs> That's it. And, yeah, I love her. No, 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 I didn't ask, do you noun her? Are you loving her? Not do you love her, Are you loving her? Well, no. Are you loving him? Well, no, if you would have heard what he said, if you you knew what he did. Love her. Love him. Get out. (laughs) That's that's it. Love one another. Verb one another. It's not something you, it's not like a ditch. Oop, I tripped and fell into love. Tripped and fell into the ditch. Verb one another. And then he goes on to say this. A new command I give you, love one another. Here's the condition. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Not as your parents have loved you. 
though that might be a good example. Not as your friends have loved you, though that could be a good example. Not how your high school clique loved you, which is unlikely a good example. But as Jesus, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Did you know most bad church experiences hinges on the disobedience of John 13, 34? We can sit here and argue all day about theology, and we can argue all day about doctrine, and all day about methodology, and this and that, and should the lights be higher, should they be lower, should the sound be higher, should it be lower, should Nathan's sermons be longer, should they be shorter? And we all agree on the same answer on that one, it should be shorter. But as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Wow. What if churches would do that? What would happen across the world? What would happen across the country? What would happen across Texas if we would take John 13, verse 34, and if, if, all the other, if we would just love one another as Jesus has loved us? Unconditional love, that means unconditional. It means sacrificial. It means selfless. It means devoted. It means all the way, I'm sticking with you to the end. I'm not turning my back on you. Kind of love. Wow. And then he says this in verse 35. This is how, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples. And the reason he says that is because up to this point, the way everybody knew, these 12, actually 11 now, the way everybody knew these 11 guys were disciples of Jesus was how? Because every time Jesus walked into a town, who was tagging on right behind him? There they are, physical proximity. We know, oh, those are his 12 because they're following Jesus physically. He's walking into town and there's the 12, but now we got a problem. I'm leaving. Where I'm going, you can't go. And so how are people going to know you're my disciples now? I'm going. I'm about to ascend into heaven. How are people going to know you're my disciples now? Because you can't follow me into town everywhere. And he says this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by how, if you love one another. Wow, okay. People are going to know I'm following you, Jesus? And I would figure that he would say, by how many verses you memorized, they're going to know you're my disciples if you memorize a lot of verses. That's not what he said. And he doesn't say they're going to know you're my disciples by your church attendance, as much as your preacher would love for that to be the answer. He says, and actually, by the way, he doesn't say, People will know you're my disciples by what you believe. A lot of people believe the right things, but there is no love. People will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another unconditionally, the way I have loved you. Church, this is our best play. This is our best play better than any program, better than any event, better than any ministry, better than any activity, better than any organization up here, our best play, our best card to a reaching world and to a seeking world is the, is the card of love. Amen? We are in a world that is hurting, a world of loneliness, a world just wondering, is there anybody out there who truly loves me unconditionally? And we have the answer. We have the package. We have been loved by him. And so we get to share that with the rest of the world. This is our best play. John Weiss tells the story of a little girl in this church, 10-year-old girl. She told her mom, I want to learn how to bake brownies. 
something I've never said. And she walked in the kitchen. She, she opened up the package. She followed the directions. She made brownies. At the end of it, her mom, wow, you, you bake brownies. And she said, I want to go give these all away to college students at the local university. I said, really? Yeah. Well, it was over Christmas break. Very few college students are in town. But the ones that were there were typically foreign exchange students. So they went to the local, um, to the university's library where most of the students would be. And she runs into a guy by the name of Ahmad. And she said, can I give you a brownie? And he says, yeah, did you make things for me? Yeah, I made them for all you college students. He said, why did you do that? And she said, because Jesus wanted me to, duh. <laughs> He's like, all right. all right. Little did she know that Ahmad was Muslim, but she invited Ahmad to church with her that Sunday. Ahmad said yes, and whenever they went to go pick up Ahmad, obviously not her, but her parents went to go pick up Ahmad, and when they walked into church, the 10-year-old girl did not walk him into the big church area. She walked him into children's church, and he sat cross-legged on the carpet with all of the other kids in the church and listened to a story that the children's minister gave about Jesus and Zacchaeus, and Ahmad left that day saying, if Jesus can love Zacchaeus, then Jesus can love me. And two months later, Ahmad was baptized into Christ. And he gave his love. is our best play. Martin Luther King put it this way, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Do you know why you are who you are today? Who you are, who you are today, why you are who you are today is not based on what you believe, believe it or not. There are two groups of people who have impacted you the most, who have shaped you and impacted you. The reason you're the kind of husband you are today, the reason you're the kind of mother you are today or wife or grandmother or grandfather or coworker or friend, the reason you are who you are today has been shaped by two groups of people. And here's the two groups of people who have shaped who you are today. Those who have hurt you and those who have loved you. That's who has shaped you. That's why you are who you are today. Those who have hurt you the most and those who have loved you the most. Those who have hurt you the deepest and those who have loved you the deepest. And when you tell your story, that's the story you're telling, whether you know it or not. You are telling the story of people who have hurt you and people who have loved you, and that has that has been what has shaped you more than any other thing, even more than your belief system. You know what a good counselor will do? When you're struggling, a good counselor will point you back to this right here. Who has hurt you and who has loved you? And they'll bring you right back to that. Now, here's, here's the odd truth of my bad church experience. Many of us in here today have been hurt the most by people who believe right. Many of us have been hurt by people who have accurate theology. And many of us have been hurt by people who go to church every single Sunday. And many of us have been hurt by people who have the most influence in Christian circles and who are honored the most in, in, in Christian circles and maybe even have leadership in Christian circles. And those are the people you don't mess with in the church. And yet those are the people who have drugged you through the mud and have ripped the spirit out of your heart and has demoralized your soul 
And yet those are the people who believe right. And And I struggle with this. I have struggled with this. Nathan, what's the biggest question you've had about the faith the last five years of your life? It's that right there. I don't, I don't get it. How can that be? And so I've done a little Bible study. It's not been a, been a, been a okay, it's been about a five, I was about to say it's not been a very long Bible. It's been about a five-year-long Bible study, but it's just whenever I get a chance. I've been looking into this, and I want to share with you what I've, what I've come up with scripturally, not my opinion, but how is it that people who believe right and attend the most and have the highest honor in Christianity can be the ones who hurt you the most. How has that happened? And I have come up with something that I want to share with you today. And you can take it or leave it. You can say, Nathan, you're off your rocker. And I can tell by the way you're looking at me right now, you already believe that. But I want to share with you what I have come up with scripturally. How is it that has been happening in the church for so many years? Here's what I've come up with. Here's the doctrine. If you don't love right, you don't believe right. I've never heard that before. But if you're not loving, then you're not believing. And you can raise your hand and say, no, 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 I believe. No, No, you don't. Anybody can say, I believe. Actually, Jesus says, many will say, I believe. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not? Yeah, but you didn't love. If you don't love right, that is an indication you actually don't believe. And I want to walk you through how I came to that conclusion. Short little Bible study, and then you can have a happier Mother's Day after that, okay? You're like, wow, this is heavy. Here it is. This is I, I didn't learn that, uh, this till lately. John 13 verse 34 and 35, 11 guys are sitting in the room. And I think John was the most impacted at this moment. And John says, wow, he's never called me little children before. And it's a word there. There's other spots he calls them children, but not the original Greek word. The original Greek word here is not found anywhere else in the New Testament except for here. And Jesus calls them my little children. There's only one other book in the Bible that this word is used, and it is not used in John, it is used in 1 John. Who wrote 1 John? John. 1 John is a commentary of John 13, 34 and 35. I think John was so taken back at this moment that he writes an entire book giving a commentary, and if you've ever read 1 John, you're like, yeah, it's in there. It's all over the place. First John is written to tell us, here's how you know you're saved. Here's how you know you believe right. Here's how you know you're a Christian if you do this. And what does he say over and over again in First John? Let me get there real quick. First John chapter two, I'm not gonna give you all the verses, but I'm gonna give you some of them I've run into. And if you just read First John on your own, uh, you'll run into these. First John chapter two, uh, beginning with verse nine, I believe. Yeah, verse nine and 10. Anyone, everybody say Anyone. Anyone who claims to be in the light, that means a Christian, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is what? Still in the darkness. What does that mean? What if it means what it said it means? It means you you can't hate. 
and be a follower of Jesus. Verse 10, anyone who loves their brother or sister, okay, so it gives the contrary, lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Okay, that's 1 John 2. And then as the book goes on, it spirals deeper and deeper into the verse, into this truth. And so it goes on in chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15, I believe. We know that we have passed from death to life. That's new verbolo- verbology. Unsaved is saved. Because we what? What proves it? How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I've passed from death to life? Because the way I love people, that's how I know. No, my church attendance. No. The way you love each other. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you don't have to commit the act of murder to be a murderer, the Sermon on the Mount says. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. If you don't love right, you don't believe right. Then it goes on to chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born again, born of God, and knows God. Whoever does not love, here it comes, does not know God. Whoever hates, whoever carries bitterness, whoever, whoever does that, they don't, they, they don't know God. They've not passed from death to life. They're in darkness. They're, they're, they're not in light. And then it goes on to say, everybody read the orange out loud. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You know that verse that we put on t-shirts? Ah, it's not in the most wonderful part of Scripture. That verse that we put on our walls, on decorations, Coffee cup verse, God is love. It's in the context of, yeah, so if you're not doing it, you're not a Christian. That's the context. So for those of you who have been hurt by Christians and you say, that doesn't make sense, I just want to tell you today, Jesus is with you. He's saying that doesn't make sense. Ah, it's what I've come to. It's all I can wrap my, that's what First John teaches, but there is a Trump verse, and I don't mean that politically. Every time I use the word Trump now, I have to say, First uh, uh, uh. uh, John chapter three, verse 23, I believe it is. And this, this is interesting. This is an interesting verse. And this is his command. Is command singular or plural? No, it's not hard. Thank you, Lawrence. We have one guy who passed English in high school. Singular. And this is his singular command. Now, let's see if he gives one command. You ever have that coach who says, one thing I want you to do, here's the five things. Here is his command, singular, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and, oh, <laughs> and to love one another as he commanded us. Da, 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 da. John, that's two. That's not one. That's plural. Did John get it wrong? No. What was he saying? That's one command. That's what he was saying. To believe in the name of the Son, Jesus, is to love one another as Jesus has loved us. It's not, you can't separate them. You can't separate it. They're the same thing. And so when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It looks like Jesus gave two answers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then what does he go on to say? And 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, I didn't ask for two. He said, yeah, I know. I didn't give you two. I gave you one. They're not separated. Guys, the church loses when we miss this. Historically, we lose. when. Historically, we have lost when we miss this. And the church is flourishing today. The church is doing great today. But when local churches or local pockets of churches miss this and we are leveraging methodology or we are leveraging technology or we are leveraging our programs over love, the church loses. We lose. If we don't love right, you don't believe right, and you say, Nathan, you're kind of guilt-tripping me. Are you trying to get me to question your faith? No, unless you're carrying around hate. Then, yeah, because that can't be in there. God is love, and if he resides in you, you can't hate. I got a question for you. Who can you not stand? Who just gets under your... Who do you have trouble loving? Let me put it to you that way. Dallas Cowboy fans? Jesus understands that one. He, uh... Even Jesus is like, well, this, this didn't apply to that. <laughs> There's always an exception to the rule. There's always an asterisk. Um, Democrats? Well, he's a Democrat, I can't stand them. Republicans? Do they not realize they're ruining the world, those Republicans? Rich people? Can't stand rich people. Poor people? Why do they pick themselves up off their... Get off the grounds, welfare queens... Bad drivers? Ah, I got a story for that this week. I'm going to not tell it, though, because you're going to wonder if I'm in the light. I might be in the darkness. Um, Learn to drive. Hey, just so you know, this is not in the script here. Did you know you can turn right on red? Just want our group to know that, because there's some people who don't know that. You can go right. Anyway. Who, who do you have? <laughs> I have problems. I have so many problems. Who do you have trouble loving? Um, people who dress a certain way? When you see somebody dressed a certain way or look, to, look a certain way or speak a certain language or speak with a certain dialect? Who is it you have trouble loving? True or False. So here, here was my end of my journey on this. When I came to this conclusion, this is what I came to after reading several passages of Scripture. And I, I want you to see if this is true or false. Do you agree with this or not? God loves all people equally. You agree with that? Something there. Do I agree with that? That bad driver, does God love him or her just as much as he loves me? I'm not asking if I love him or her as much as God loves them in that moment. Does God love him or her? That Democrat, that Republican, that terrorist, does God love everybody equally? So I came to the conclusion that the answer is a resounding yes. And if God loves everybody equally and God lives inside of me, then I should love everybody 
unconditionally, equally. And if I walked in here today with hate in my heart, then I should not walk out with that same hate. You have an opportunity today, if God is in you or God can enter in you today, you can make a decision like that and he will live inside your soul if you walked in here with bitterness or anger or rage or malice or deceit against anybody, you don't have to walk out of here with that. God can set you free. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. God loves all people equally. And with that came, I came to the conclusion of this. I have now lost my right to hate. That's what that means. I have no right to carry anger or bitterness toward anybody. That night as we close, Jesus tells his disciples this wonderful truth. If you love one another, uh, all men will know that you're my disciples if, if you love one another. And he leaves there and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is praying and his disciples are doing what? Ah, they can't pray. They're too tired. And then the soldiers come. And one of the soldiers who came to arrest Jesus, his name was Malchus. And Peter says, this is how I will defend you, Jesus. And he takes out his sword. And do you remember what he does to Malchus? He swings and apparently he's a terrible baseball player because all he got was his ear. But his ear falls off onto the ground. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, we don't fight like that. And I would expect Jesus to say that. I really would. Peter, that's not how we're going to go. That's not the way the church is going. You just set a bad precedent. That's a bad DNA to go. We don't drive out hate with hate. We drive it out with love. But then Jesus does something that I do not expect Jesus to do. That proves this point to me that God loves even the people who arrested him. What did he do for Malchus at that moment? He leaned down, picked up the ear, and Peter's, what are you doing? Because I can kind of expect Jesus to say, Peter, don't do that, but thanks. <laughs> He's suffering. Way to go. He picks up the ear and he puts it back on Malchus. Do you know why? Because Jesus loved Malchus as much as he loved Peter. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he's hanging on the cross. And let me just tell you what I would be thinking if I was hanging on the cross. I would be thinking about how much pain I'm in, but what does Jesus look down at John, the one guy I think who actually came to the cross with him other than all the women. He looks at John and says, on this Mother's Day, take care of mama. And Mary must have been thinking, you're still thinking about me. Yeah, because Jesus loved her. He would not forget about his mother. And then Jesus is hanging on the cross and another criminal, one of them's throwing insults at him. The other saying, man, we deserve this. And Jesus looks at one of the criminals who hadn't done half what the disciples had done. And he looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. And even in that moment, Jesus is reaching out with love, eternal love, changes a person's eternal destiny. God loves all people. And then the, the biggest act, he looks at the soldiers who probably nailed the nails into the cross. And he looks at them and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God loves all people equally. Guys, the new command I give you, love one another 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you do what? If you love one another. In the 1 Corinthians 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love.